And I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. So Rebecca, we were coming off of talking about the, we were trying to decide what to call it. And I think if we called it maybe the spectrum of belief in apologetics, just basically dealing with the five main people you'll, you'll meet in apologetics, meaning we've got the learners, the seekers, the mm-hmm. doubters, and those three things kind of are all on top. And then from those three groups, we're going to either get the hardened doubters or the believers. And in the previous podcast, we, we talked about how apologetics looks differently for the learners, the seekers, the doubters, and the believers. But we kind of saved the, the toughest group for, for last that I think probably deserves its own podcast. And that's going to be the hardened doubters. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so I kind of like to bring it back to the thing that I try to, I try to say over and over again, just because I think it's extremely true, which is uh, questions are good. Enough unanswered questions leads to doubt. Mm-hmm. Doubt, when left to solidify, turns into unbelief, which is really, really hard to reverse. Yeah. Especially so, when in mixed into that is anger or, say, political ideology or anything like that that kind of helps cement it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I've this seen. group right here, yeah, that's what I've seen. This group right here, I think, is the one when people immediately think of apologetics, they think, oh, this is who it's for. And... I think that's kind of a dangerous view for apologetics in general because I think that apologetics will be the least fruitful mm. with this group. And so when people think apologetics... And it tends to be the most tense-filled with this group. Yes. <laughs> tension-filled. The, yeah, the yeah. most tension-filled, the most angst-filled. Um, this is the most vocal, probably, the one that people notice the most. Um, and it's the one that everybody thinks of when they think of apologetics. So basically, you take the absolute worst case scenario mm-hmm. <laughs> and you pair it with apologetics. And of course, people are going to be like, well, I don't, I don't want to get in apo- involved in apologetics. I don't want to like be involved in that. It's like the difference between those kids in the playground with the bully <laughs> and like all the bystanders. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then that one kid that's like, I'm going to go and you know, that bully is wrong and I'm going to get him to stop. And God bless those, those kids. They're the ones that stand up to the bullies. Except um, in this case that oftentimes the bullies view the Christian as the bully. It's yeah, anyway, but it's, it's, it's a little bit more complex. Than and that, sometimes but. they're right. Well, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Sometimes they're right. Yeah. <laughs> that the Christian absolutely. is the bully. Yeah. Um, so, but I can, I can see why I think, especially women, this is why I want to talk to the women, especially that if they see apologetics is only dealing with this group, I can totally understand why they would not want to be involved in apologetics. And apologetics has in its name defense. So it's like yeah. you think, oh, like a, a castle defending its, you know, so it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, that I think that's why it also gets in that name because that's, it's it's in the name (laughs) yeah it's in the name but at the same time we have to remember that the other groups basically like when we think of it when we think of a defense this is ultimately who we're defending against 
And the thing is, all of the other groups, which we have the learners, the seekers, the doubters, and the believers, all of them are going to come into contact with this group right here. So this is something that's like Especially today. Yeah. I mean, you just turn on the TV. What what was that guy? I don't know if he's still on because we we didn't have cable, but uh, Bill Maher. I, mean, I was about to say Bill Maher. I didn't even have to have you tell me, but I didn't want to. And assume. the other one, um, no, he was fun. They were both, well, Bill Maher, I don't know he was so funny, but the other one was really funny. I can't remember. But John Stewart? John Stewart, yes. And I just got to say, I love John Stewart. I think he's hilarious, yeah. and I think he's kind of equal opportunity offender. So yeah, yeah. He was just, yeah, he was satirical. Bill Maher's angry dude he is an angry dude he's a little more scary i would say yeah yeah i would say so yeah he's he's the like straight up sometimes just utter blasphemous the one where you want to kind of step back because you're waiting for the the lightning bolt to strike yeah (laughs) so uh so when we talk about the hardened doubters these are basically who we want to be preparing our kids to meet so that the stuff that they say doesn't rock their world. And, and, so, and oftentimes, let me say, we said Bill Maher and John Stewart. Well, I don't know so much John Stewart, but definitely Bill Maher. But I, I will say there are a lot of Bill Mars on college faculty, oh, you know, um, my rosters. You speak <laughs> the truth. I, and, and, and not that they all are, but let me no, tell you, not right? that they all are. The ones that are there, they do a lot of damage and they like it. They like uh-huh. the power they have. And, and they will come, some of them are honest enough to come out and say exactly this is part of the reason why I'm here. I'm here to deconvert you. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, So they would probably fall into the two categories that uh, you pointed out after I gave you those five categories of um, uh, learner, seeker, doubter, and then uh, hardened unbeliever and believer that you said, well, actually, the hardened doubter can fall into two more categories, which I thought was extremely brilliant on your part of course and <laughs> which it's is hard it's you, hard learned lessons it's yes. <laughs> and, and, and I think you and I kind of think like this because we're both biologists and so we just innately want to classify everything that's just kind of <laughs> yeah very reductive <laughs> yes it's yeah. okay in so, uh, <laughs> the hardened doubter we're going to have the apathetic hardened doubter and the angry hardened doubter and the way to deal with both of these is um is very different this is something that is going to be kind of just tips for the women out there that most of the time i think especially if you're dealing with your children and your children's friends you're going to be dealing with those first three categories the the learner seeker the doubter if you come into contact with the hardened doubter there there's some tips and strategies to uh, yeah. to interacting with them, I would say. And I think that, so, like we talked about earlier, women can bring in a very special tool that maybe men, mm. brave, our brave heart men, do not have, and that is the gentleness. And there's the proverb, I can't remember what proverb it is, but it says a gentle word turns away wrath. And can yeah. I tell you, it doesn't always work. And I know that when it doesn't <laughs> when it doesn't work, I just step away from the situation. But when I've shown gentleness to some very angry people, angry atheists um that are at least coming across very angry they calm down and i have an open door with them and and a lot lot of time because when i get down to the heart of it their anger is legitimate yeah (laughs) and so that's an excellent point so you know it's an honest anger and you know and but you'll learn quickly who doesn't have the honest anger who maybe is in it for ego and purely Mm. ego and gentleness is one way to really dispel a lot of that um 
there's yeah. a book that I've been meaning to read by the late Dallas Willard um, called The Allure of Gentleness. And I think it, mm. I, I have it, it here. And, and from what I can tell from the book jacket and reading reviews, that it's about this idea of using gentleness as an apologetic, you know. I and like I, that. And it's really just a, it's just a fruit of the spirit, right? I mean, so. And you know what's another really great uh, thing on top of gentleness? And it has to be done right. And in fact, I think I, I wrote a paper on this in college. Uh, it was either for a sociology or a psychology class. Um, humor. Uh, Chesterton is was ex- so good at this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so disarming. Like in, in yeah. the paper that I wrote, I, I used some movie. And I, oh God, I wish I could remember what movie this was. It had... Nicholas Cage in it. <laughs> oh, oh, you know it was great then. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, but what he did was, it's like he would get captured by these people uh, that were like terrorists or something. And what he started doing, it's like it's like he had these people surrounding him with machine guns, mm-hmm. and he starts telling yo mama jokes. <laughs> oh my goodness! You remember that you know your mama's so fat that you know she spits butter. You you know your mama's so stupid. Yeah, I remember your mama's, that. Your mama's so this. Your mama's so that. He starts telling these yo mama jokes. And so you have these utter thug guys that are around him holding machine guns, looking angry. But then they start going. You humanize them and you humanize yourself. They put their guns down and they start saying, tell us another one. Tell us another one. So he just keeps telling these yo mama jokes until they are all dying laughing. And then, of course, he pulls out his inner Chuck Norris and just completely demolishes all of them. When they're in this state of hilarity, it's because there's this universal language of humor. Yeah. That's very disarming. Now, humor can also be done in a very Rude. biting, sarcastic way. Passive aggressive. Yeah. Yes. You know, and sometimes I found too with these types is when you're self deprecating humor. Um, yes. That disarms them because Absolutely. they're so used to these just arrogant people coming at them that they can't mm-hmm. admit anything wrong. And that's like the total opposite of our. The, the, the core of our gospel. core of yeah. the gospel is that we're a mess. <laughs> yeah, the core of the gospel and is it's like, that, yeah, we're a hot mess. <laughs> and it's not something to laugh about. It's actually put our Lord on the cross. But when we're yeah. self-deprecating, and I think Chesterton is someone who did this wonderfully, it really does, you know, open doors for people because... Uh, and Chesterton said, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. I think we can <laughs> all take ourselves lightly a lot more. Now, if you're dealing with someone who is truly anger, angry, you have to you have to be careful when you use humor because you don't want to make yeah. it sound like you're being flippant about That's excellent. some serious subject for someone. But yeah. yeah, there's times when to not make a joke when, you know, they're talking about their mom that died of cancer. Not <laughs> the time to make a joke. Yeah. But when I usually find, and, and I say this because I just did it yesterday, when someone's actually kind of insulting you and maybe mm-hmm. a passive aggressive or not so passive aggressive way, you just kind of go with it and say, yeah, I'm kind of, I can be kind of an idiot sometimes, but, I, you know, and you, you kind of go with it. Like this one guy was uh, communicating with on Facebook yesterday was saying <laughs> that um, belief in God was like belief in Loch Ness. And so um, I said, oh, wow you know, my husband and I are going to Scotland this summer, you know, we're going to, I'm going to prove it. And then I posted like a, there's this really funny GIF out there and you've probably seen it where you see Nessie from afar. It was that same doctored looking picture, black and white. Mm -hmm. And then it gets closer and closer and then it gets so close. All of a sudden it turns and it's a little giraffe. (laughs) (laughs) And I I posted that. I sent that to him anyway. So, you know, I, I, I took that humor and I kind of went with it. And, la- mm-hmm. and laughed about it. And actually, he didn't really, he he didn't go for it too much. But the other atheist did. She she thought it was funny. But 
he was a little bit too serious. Um, yeah. But sometimes it's good. I like it when people do that with me. When I'm, sometimes I don't. I don't like yeah. it when Leah's being funny and I want to be serious. But yeah. so it's like you have to. They're you have hum- to know. And, and, and really gentleness. And it, it doesn't always work. I, I won't say it's a foolproof thing. I think that we should have gentleness anyway. It's not like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be gentle. No, it's a character thing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, I mean, just think about the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness faithfulness, and self-control. self-control. Yeah. Um, I don't see arrogance anywhere in there. <laughs> and yeah, I don't no. see beating people over the head no. with arguments. Yeah. And, and like uh, completely correct in all things. That's not our fruit of the spirit either. Yeah. Yeah. Amazingly enough. <laughs> Winning every argument. Is that? Yeah. I thought that was know, a fruit of the spirit. The, that could be like, you know, hashtag things that aren't fruit of the spirit. <laughs> hey, I see. I see a new hashtag going. There no, we go. That's uh, for the apologetics community in particular. And I, yeah. I think that's women see that because those are the most vocal atheists typically. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so us women who aren't the ones, the hunters, we're not going to go out and fight for our families and we're going to protect the homestead. You know, we're, we don't want to go, we're going to send the men out (laughs) (laughs) and, and we, we don't like that stuff. Um, some women do, and I love my women friends that do, but I'm, I'm not, I'm a very non-confrontational type. Although you, like we, like the whole, our whole ministry, you get that mama bear activated. <laughs> yeah. When story. you, when you activate the mama bear, all, all bets are off. That's yeah. what I've discovered in me. Cause for the most part, a lot of times, as much as like, I've always kind of thought more like a guy and kind of been more like a guy, um, like a guy and had more interests like a guy. I don't know if I've always been like this or if it's just now, like after I got married, I got a lot more girly, but <laughs> I really don't like. It's just the hormones. No, Maybe I don't know. No, it's not. I don't. I don't like interacting with the the really uh, confrontational things, like you know the, the yeah. debates. Like I love equipping women and and talking with I, kids. And- I actually now I don't mind Dr. Craig debates, but like I will go to some of these debates, and I am so tense that I like I. It's very stressful. I'm exhausted afterwards. I feel like I debated and I didn't. Yeah. And so I, there's one coming up. Um, I get very critical when I listen to them. Like whenever I'm listening to one of the debates, if the person who's on the Christian side isn't Ugh. speaking gently. And you and I have sat in the audience together while yes. we're sitting there just it's like, like oh. you know, talking back and forth. Like, I can't believe he's talking like this. I think one of the best moments of levity that I've ever seen at a debate was honestly from my dear husband, which uh. I always jokingly tell him that like he's he's a gentle a lot of times, guy <laughs> he tries to make jokes and he's just not funny sometimes <laughs> God i think bless he's him. funny <laughs> yeah i know he 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 is but there's sometimes when he'll say stuff and i'll just be looking he's at too him cerebral like, yeah you're so not funny uh it's when he tries that he's not funny it's when he doesn't try and for some reason i think the lord gives him like the spiritual gift of humor yeah the the most tense debate you and i have ever been to think think back what's the most tense debate you can think of that we've ever been to well i definitely think the one between lydia allen and alan hayline was very tense for me because she was so emotional and i absorb people's emotions that's true and alan's like so opposite but i did actually i thought the one between john and david smalley was tense and frustrating i was frustrated because i felt like your husband prepared a lot more and that david smalley came across like he did not take it as seriously and i think he's a nice guy i've met him but he, he just didn't come across like he took it as seriously and that was very frustrating for me because i 
know and love your husband and I love you and, and I know how much you guys prepared for it. So anyway, but what was the most tense one I'm for thinking you? the one between Justin Bass and Dan Barker. Oh, oh, how could I forget? Oh my gosh. I think, I think I've blocked, blocked it. Out. it. <laughs> no, I actually was so tense. At one point, he was trashing the Beatitudes and I yeah. just like, I kind of screamed. I kind of screamed out. I don't know what noise I made, but I made so, enough of an audible noise that several rows of people bef- in front of me looked back at me. <laughs> and I don't know. It just came out because I just felt I'd never heard anyone take the Beatitudes and twist them like that. It yeah. was evil. And um, I'm, I met him beforehand, and he was a very nice guy. But he morphed in front of us. When you have someone that you love and you see them trashed, and I love Jesus, mm-hmm. and I admire him so much. Even if I wasn't a believer, I think I would definitely admire Jesus. It's just a, just for the Beatitudes alone. Blessed yeah. are the poor in spirit. To see that taken out of context and twisted was very difficult. So yeah, okay, that was so tough. we do agree that that was the most Oh my gosh, that effect. was the worst one I've ever been to, and I never want to... <laughs> if he comes in town, I... No. Uh-uh. No, I don't think I could ever... It's... Yeah, no, I could never. But the moment when the tension broke in that room because I told John because he was he was going to go up and ask a question I said I told John I said you need to break the tension oh okay and do you remember what the other problem was that night that the air conditioning had gone out it was hell (laughs) there was Satan and hell there was mean the beginning of his question he said well I think after tonight with the whole air conditioning thing we can at least all agree that we have a better concept of the theology of hell. Oh that was great. Yes. And the whole room just l- totally just laughed and it was like And we needed it. All- yeah, we totally needed it. And it that was, was tough the example because I- there was the the atheist cheering section yes. and I really don't want the Christians to cheer. No, when when Christians make a good move, because it goes back to that apologist even evening prayer that we just read. You know, it's like it's not about the victory. It's about the Mm -hmm. person. But when Dan Barker made some disparaging remark, all the atheists would go, woohoo, you know, and it just it was tough. It's tough because we have a different standard. We cannot. It would be very cathartic to be able to get involved in the same kind of brouhaha and 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 attacking and personal, you know, all the stuff that atheists can do because they don't, you know, they don't have the ethical standards that we do. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. It's not, <laughs> not fair. Not loudly cheer. Come on, people. I think uh, yeah. uh, the way that um, I think Blake Junta like really um, he, he described it as basically throwing meat to a bunch of ravenous dogs is basically what it sounded like at that point. Yeah. Like that, that, that room, I have never experienced anything like that in my life, but I, I swear it all broke when John made that joke oh, and it's like, yeah. and it wasn't great after that, but it was at least Better. like it needed that tension breaker. Yeah. Oh. So we've kind of we've I'm kind thankful of like for the debates too, though, and and I'm thankful that people like Justin and uh, Dan Barker are w- willing to come out and and do these sort of things. Um, it's all we're walking a fine line and keeping the civility, but it's good because our culture needs to learn relearn yeah. civility, yeah. and and maybe this sort of things like this, the two diametrically opposed atheists and Christians, we can model this. You know, yeah. for the for the culture and it and in an I'm, ideal world. I think you said it best. I, t- I actually was uh, I took notes when we were talking earlier. Just because you say so many smart things, but um, 
you said we are pushing down the sinner in ourselves, interacting with a flagrant sinner in someone else. Oh my goodness, yes. And that flagrant and, sinner in us is like wanting to just go toe to toe because it can, especially when yeah. there's wit involved. Yes, <laughs> and ego. And oh um, yeah, which is wit, which is ego, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the way that you would deal with an angry, an angry, hardened doubter is different than the way that you would deal with an apathetic, hardened doubter. So like my, my first initial thought, so an apathetic versus an angry person, an apathetic person, let's see, what are some of the characteristics? There's someone that for them, it's not even a debate anymore, which is a very dangerous position. That's mm. actually a, a more dangerous position than an angry person. It's even person. harder, an, right? Yeah, yeah, it's even harder. An angry person... Uh, like I think I compared it in the last podcast, like uh, marriage counselors talk about that you go through these stages of conflict and the worst the worst stage when they know that basically the marriage is over is when they don't fight anymore. Mm. And it's because they've basically lost all passion. They don't see that there's any point. It's kind of basically where Europe is in in, <laughs> in some ways when it comes to Christianity. The wall is so thick and so strong that they know they don't have to go on the defense anymore. And they yeah, and they or, don't, but the the angry guys still have some holes, and that they're that's why they're, they're fighting still it off in this discussion. Yeah, yeah, they're they're still in the discussion. The apathetic ones, it's like it's basically the matter is settled, and they're not even going to debate it. The ones that are angry, they're still reacting, and they're so still like about it. if you have a yeah. spouse that's like, what, what were you saying, babe? They're still passionate about it, and they they care. Yeah. And, and that's why I have a huge respect I, for even though, you know, it's hard sometimes, I, I prefer them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the apathetic ones, I think sometimes the very best we can do is to be a pebble in the shoe. Yeah, that's a good, that's a very good thing. And um, I will say, too, that um, recent, uh, a couple of years ago, my church went through Pascal Blaise Pascal was a 17th century mathematician, and before he died, he had been writing all these little snippets that he was going to include in a great apologetic work. Um, And he died before he got it done, and so there's all these disjointed thoughts, and he was French, so they called it pensées. So that's what we have is Blaise Pascal's pensées. Which really thoughts, right? Thoughts in French, yes, because he was French. And a really good book to read and to accompany that when you read it is um, one by Peter Kreef, who was a philosopher in Boston College. Um, he wrote um, Christianity for Modern Pagans. Oh, because, yeah, and, I know that and one. He, I think we've got that one. Yeah, and he makes the case that Blaise Pascal was moving in the upper echelon circles of 17th century France. And these were very pampered. They had pretty good lifestyles. Um, they had a lot of money. They had a lot of ways to distract themselves, a lot of entertainment. <laughs> Sounds like people who would be very apathetic about Christianity. They were extremely apathetic. They thought, oh, well, that's all been solved long ago. There's no need for it. And he was moving along those people. And Peter Kreeft make, makes the argument that those people really modern people today, you and I are very much like them in the sense of our lifestyles. And actually our lifestyles are even better. We're even more pampered. Just, you know, we have indoor plumbing, (laughs) you know. And as far as entitled, dear God, all we got to do is look at all the stuff going on at the campuses to know that we are an entitled people. Yes. And they were highly entitled. And so um, he draws the 
parallel saying, you know, he that was his main audience was trying to wake them up. And that's really, you know, pe- most people have heard of Pascal's Wager. Atheists hate it, but they don't understand it because it's, first of all, the wager is is just a thought and there was a whole, is unfinished mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it has a context. Uh, Pascal died before he could finish it. But second of all, there's an audience and the specific audience is the people, he was trying to get these people to wake up to the fact that they're going to die <laughs> and they mm-hmm. have to they have to confront their mortality and they had so many things in their world to help them um, distract themselves away from their mortality. Well, we yeah. have even more today. I mean, because people used to live with so much pain, like toothaches, all sorts of pain that we don't even live with today. Yeah. Um, so we're even more so. We're even worse. So Blaise Pascal... even had to deal with boredom. We've got the iPad. We don't even have to deal with boredom. We've got the iPad and Netflix. We don't even have to deal with boredom anymore. Yes. Yeah, they had... Yeah, especially them. I mean, they just... They didn't have to do anything. So... There is so much that we can distract ourselves with today. And so really for the apathetic person is really to get them to wake up. And sometimes, like you said, it's a little pebble in the shoe because there it takes a while to get through. There's a thick wall of apathy that's built up. And yeah, you have it's to... It's very comfortable. It's, it's so thick because it's like a bunch of pillows that they can just lay on. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they have to be shocked out of it with life circumstances. But that doesn't mean that they're not worth it. You just, you're just putting those pebbles in the shoe. Like, I, I like that mm-hmm. imagery because it's very true. And I think Pascal, a lot of his pensées were very much getting people to think about it and um, to realize their mortality and, and to think about it. But I've run into some people like this that are highly educated, very wealthy, um, successful, have great jobs, perfect children, perfect life. And they're atheists, and they don't. They think all this—it's all been solved, and yeah. they're young, and it's—it's um, it's hard. But you still can engage with them, and it's just—it yeah. looks different than it does with the angry atheist. So, yeah. and I think you brought up a really good point that uh, sometimes having a really catastrophic event in their life is the absolute best time to. Um, not like you want (laughs) to go and be like, okay, let's talk about God now. But like, that can be a time where you really want to step into their lives and just step into their pain and step into their confusion or whatever it is. Cause that might be the time when they're most open to, to, you know, basically when you have the rug ripped out from under you, Mm -hmm. it really depends what rug you're standing on as to whether or not that's a bad thing or not. (laughs) If the rug that you're standing on is your Christian faith, having the rug ripped out from under you is a bad thing. If you are an apathetic atheist or just apathetic agnostic, if that's the rug you're standing on, having that rug ripped out from under you, that's a great Mm -hmm. time to start um, answering questions. Like I remember uh, after 9-11 happened and they started looking at some of the statistics of the number of people that were in church the week after (sighs) and just like for months after. It was like this huge... People go to church. Yes. Yeah, and, and basically everybody had the rug ripped out from underneath them. And I think of, um, I think of the, I never know the locations, but there's a, a verse in, Ecle- I think it's Ecclesiastes, that says the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I so when that. there's a time of mourning, I think there's a certain um, intellectual and just emotional honesty that you have this window of opportunity that is worth seizing. So if you're with the apathetic person, you can be the pebble in the shoe and you can also pay attention to <laughs> what's going on with the rug that they're standing and on. And you don't want to 
like you, you need to, you know, you can become annoying with putting the pebbles in. You want to, <laughs> and they run yeah, away. you don't want to get to the point I where. I mean, you're... you don't want to tiptoe around them either, but um, yeah, it's. It takes wisdom. It's wisdom. Yeah. That's why we just, apologetics should never be, you know, um, divorced from prayer. Yes. And, and, and own personal relationships and study and accountability and um, encouragement. And I think another thing that is so important is to remember that you, when you're dealing with an unbeliever, you pray that God brings other people because yes. usually God has a team. And yeah. I have found like, like C.S. Lewis, there was a team Lewis. There were several different people <laughs> that were working on him and, and at different Same times. Same thing for Lee yeah, and actually, I think most of the time you're going to see that. And um, so you don't necessarily have to be the one that hits the grand slam. Yeah. And it may be God may have it for someone else or just, you know, that happens to the person themselves. You know, it just, you don't feel like, don't take that burden. Just be faithful with what what you've been given at the moment yeah. and the time you've been given and, and be you know, I hate to use words that are very buzzwords today, but one is authentic. Be authentic. <laughs> and it's like, um, I don't even know myself. <laughs> How can I be authentic? I mean, we're, I'm a mystery. I'm like a... I'll be authentically confused. I'm authentic. I really surprise myself sometimes. Um, but to be as real as you can be with someone and just love them, you yeah. know, loving, loving your neighbor is a very yeah. great place to start. But... Um, yeah, that's the the pebble in the shoe is wonderful imagery because that's really and and really it's sticking by like you said the morning that works with the the angry atheist too. I find a lot of times with the yeah. angry ones they've been through some junk and sometimes at the hands of Christians and mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to mourn. They were either dismissed by the Christian community or they were just so angry they left or or whatever and they've never had Christians mourn. And a friend of mine was just telling me that in the Jewish community and some Jewish communities, like maybe it's Orthodox, when someone is mourning, like usually at a death, they give, I think it's Shiva, it's like seven days of mourning. But -hmm. what they do is the the person that's mourning um, sits on the floor and everyone else comes and sits on the floor with them, I think, or they, everyone sits on low stools, they lower themselves. They lowered. I just think about the sackcloth and ashes back in from the Old Testament where... Um, mm-hmm. And they people, they tear their clothes. Yeah, and, the, the rending of the garments, the tearing of the clothes. Uh, I think there was probably some pulling out of the beard going on. But... Um, ow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that still goes it's on It's some now. sort of self sort of lowering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that is something that I think that we do see a lot in the, in the, the, in the Old Testament with the Jewish people is... That coming alongside, and I, and think I love I love how the the community does it because it's tangible, it's visible, it's real. And I I know ritual can end up becoming empty, but I I just love that idea of they they sit on a low stool and everyone comes and sits on low stools with them, and they yeah. sit there and they're oh, and the other thing is they're quiet and they the mourners do not speak, comforters do not speak until the the person that's mourning actually speaks. How wise is that? <laughs> oh my gosh! Then you're not going to have these people going. Well, it was God's will for your mother it's to not die. It's not going to be Job's comforters, right? No. And I, I wonder if it comes from Job's comforters. Um, I don't know. Well, no, there was there was one of Job's comforters that actually I, I didn't Elihu. Elihu. Yeah. yeah. The one who like basically says everything that God says. Yeah. <laughs> He's the only one that's not rebuked. 
Yeah, he's the only one that's not rebuked. It's like, I cannot believe that it took me until like the last year or two to realize this. And I was like, you know what? He says all the same things that God says, and he's not one of the ones that's rebuked at the end. But his words still aren't probably the most comforting things in the world. But Yeah. Well, it was, it had gotten to a point, too, where I think Job was he, – he corrects Job, too. And But, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex passage. <laughs> a complex it is a book. complex passage. But I, I think um, you bring up a really good point, and I think this is a good segue to go into just how to deal with the person who's the angry non-believer – and the first thing we have to do is anyone that's an angry non-believer, we have to realize that there's a reason why they're angry. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's going to have to do with um, hurt yeah. that they've suffered, often at the hands of Christians. we got to be honest. It's often at the hands of Christians. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just natural evil. But often it is at the hands of Christians. And when we're going in there, we're, we're <laughs> not just dealing with anything that we do to them. We're dealing with something that what every single Christian has ever done to them, whatever wrong every Christian in the world has ever done to them is going to be placed on you. And so you kind of have to be prepared for them to, to irrationally, it. to what? To absorb it. Yeah, to absorb it. And I think of, and just to expect for there to be irrational anger for small things that you do or small things that you say. And yeah, yeah absorbing it, I think is basically, I think this is where... Um, we really have to learn to long turn suffering the other cheek and being long yeah. suffering and patient Yeah, to be long suffering and just and it, what what helps me is that I was in an abusive church situation and actually many of us have been <laughs> abused yeah. by Christian at the hand of so-called Christians and this pastor was extremely abusive um, mentally for me but actually physically for some people too um, every, sexually for some sexually people. yes but mentally for everyone he was a bully basically a brilliant bully he was one of the best Bible teachers I've ever had and had known but um, he I I have a a long suffering with people that have been hurt because I know how deep it goes and yeah. I know how damaging it is and the Bible does too. The New Testament is pretty severe on leaders. Um, they 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 suffer pretty severe consequences for abusing their authority. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. there's some pastors that I'm like, I do not want to be near you yeah. on Judgment Day. That I'm going to be standing be at the other side of the room, on the yeah, other side right. of the cloud, well, if it's clouds. Yeah, <laughs> this silly imagery. But yeah, so that helps me, but but really to be long-suffering with people. And maybe even taking that, I love that once that my friend told me about that, about the the, suff- the Jewish culture, they don't speak until the other person speaks and is done speaking. So we just let them unload. Because yeah. oftentimes, maybe they've unloaded with a lot of atheists, mm. but there's something cathartic for them to really be able to unload with a, a Christian yeah. because when they've been hurt by Christians. That makes me think of, do you remember the book that was really popular back probably when we were in college, The Blue Light Jazz? Oh, yeah. I haven't read it. It's on my dream list. But McLaurin, <laughs> Brian McLaurin, is that? Uh, no, it's something else i'm trying to the name's on the tip of my yeah, tongue and i'll remember it's a it. very popular did you read it yeah i did and i heard it um, was good well i've heard mixed reviews yeah i've heard mixed it's one of those things where it's like if you're trying to get all of your theology for christianity from this book that's not going to happen mm-hmm. so please stop judging it oh but donald miller yeah donald miller mm-hmm. that's it um the thing that i like about it is it's like he takes you on the journey of his beliefs. So some of the things in there, it's almost like kind of what scripture is where you've got the, um, 
what did I say? Oh, one of our other things, we've got the uh, prescriptive and the descriptive okay. aspects. And so you're going to have a lot of descriptive things where he's not saying this is a, something you should believe or this is something you should do. He's just describing his journey and he really takes you on the journey with him. But one of the things that I love about it, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I haven't read it in like 15 years, but um, he talks about how they, they set up something that was like a confession booth at his college. And oh, when yes, people would come in, this, instead yeah. of letting them confess, they started confessing all the things that the church had done. And it was like wow. this super cathartic thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then, of course, the people a lot of times would say, yeah, I had this and this and this, and just would list off all the things that they'd had done to them. And they mourned with these people for the things that had happened to them. Yeah. And, and I think I think there's a side of me when I hear that that I, I, I get repulsed a little bit. But then I, I want to look at that repulsion and I say, Okay, I'm repulsed a little bit because I don't want to be petting the victim. Like, you know, oh, it's okay, you're a victim. I hate that victim culture that we have, right? But you don't want to go to the other extreme where you dismiss the victimization. And I think that's what happens with a lot of maybe more conservative Christians um, is you dismiss the victim. We see there's a victim culture, so then we move to the anti-victim culture where no one's a victim, and yeah. it's like, no. You, or you just say, get over it. It's time to shake it off. Grow up. some dirt in it. Yeah, and that's yeah, also up. kind of the, the generation, older generations did. I yeah. think there's a, there's a fine line with really, you know, listening and mourning with them and showing true humility, a healthy humility, right, without yeah. encouraging their victimhood, you know. Yeah, and I agree with that. It's so, hard, though. <laughs> yeah, it can be hard. So with an angry person, I think grieving with them, um, kind of listening to them. But then there's a couple other things like uh, we talked about in the first, the, the podcast right before this one about how you kind of, you uh, texted me just going through utter panic attack um, mm-hmm. yesterday and how I think a lot of women maybe are turned off from apologetics because they see this one group and say, because I don't want to have to deal with that group. I'm just going to say, you know, apologetics isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um there's, there's some practical tips on maybe when to engage and when not to engage that might help uh, women not get to that panic attack stage <laughs> um, when dealing. And so one of them we talked about was if you're complete, like if you've had a night of no sleep and you're just really, really mm-hmm. unrested, maybe not the best time to engage now, it, it's never not a time to love those people but uh, or just any person. There's never a time to not love and mm-hmm. to not engage. But when it comes to engaging in arguments or in confrontation, you know, if, if they're asking for it, maybe when you haven't slept isn't the best time. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard. You know, you have to maybe actually get some duct tape, duct tape and... <laughs> Tape your hands to the chair so you, <laughs> so you yeah. don't type out that response because it's usually online. I want to say it's people get are a lot more bold these days. So they can be more. We can be more bold online. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so you want to, yeah, you want to be very intentional and wise and say okay because not only is it ten- tension that you're walking into, but it's a spiritual battle. Yeah. And so. Which- that is wearing on you physically. Which is the other point that if you're really not prayed up yeah. or you're having a hard time 
it's not to say that these these kind of interactions don't need to happen, but maybe this isn't the time. And it's not um, to say that you've got to like get all your ducks in a row and be perfect Christian before you can engage in this. God, no, that's not true. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a fine line. You know yourself, and you know if there's some area of your life that's creating some weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You just have you have to know yourself, and you have to yeah. not be. Um, unrealistic about what you can do yeah and it probably going along the lines with uh knowing yourself and we need to wrap this up soon we're getting to the end of our time but along the lines of knowing yourself is to probably know which i think everybody's going to have certain topics that make them go from rational to emotional yeah um and maybe it's good idea to wait for those topics until you can address it in a little bit more rational way because especially if you're dealing with angry atheists yeah they've probably dealt with angry christians more times than they care to admit and we really don't want to be yet one more example Mm -hmm. of what they are putting up on their shelf as saying you know exhibit a b c d e f and you're like you know triple h of Mm -hmm. examples why i don't want to become a christian because they're like this Um, But that also leads us to another thing of if you have engaged in one of these, how many times do you think they've had a Christian come back and apologize? (laughs) And, you know, I tell you, when you do apologize, I have had to do that. It is not easy. You'd be amazed at how gracious they can be. Yeah. I have had that happen where I was not nice and I, I was not in a frame of mind and I did get upset and um, I had to send a private message to someone and apologize. And this person just was so gracious. And yeah. it opened up a door for me. And um, yeah. I'm, I was so thankful that, that God gave me the strength to do that. I wasn't done in my own strength because <laughs> it was not <laughs> easy to do. It was very humiliating. You know, we've got to get Probably because our- they were wrong in 99 different ways. But that one way that we were wrong, we are called to apologize for that. Yeah, the ego. It was really an ego thing. You know, I'm the Christian. I'm the one that's supposed to be, you know, and it's like, but I wasn't. And and even if that other person was wrong, <laughs> I... It doesn't matter. It. I still have to own when I was. Yeah. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to just come clean and not hold them you know, over their head, especially when you deal with unbelievers, I don't expect them to have the same kind of standards that we do. We have pretty stringent yeah. ethical standards and I don't expect them to have it. I mean, if I wasn't and a believer, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And we shouldn't expect them to be as self-aware. That's one of the things where you, you said just an absolutely key word a little bit. You said we have to absorb. Mm-hmm. There's so much that we have to absorb um, to I just, be wronged in these situations. I just think of I, I've been through times when I have had people that love me absorb so much. And yeah. so I just try to think of that. And it's love that, that absorbs. And that's that's a way, you know, we talk about loving your neighbor, but that sounds so abstract. There's concrete ways you do it, and one way is you absorb. Yeah. And you respond in gentleness. And you own it when you didn't do something right, regardless of what they did. And, and sometimes that can be, you said it's an open door, but even more than that, I think that sometimes that can be the turning point for when you earn trust. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, as a Christian, talking with when talking with uh, angry atheists, earning trust is not something to be taken lightly. That's a big deal. Yeah. 
Yeah. And sometimes when you just utterly blow it and you apologize and you go and you humble yourself before them, that opens a door that no argument in the world could have ever opened. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just a friendship, you know, I mean, it builds a friendship, even if even if they never come around to your point of view. Yeah. You know, it's you, you soon learn that the relationship sometimes with some of these that you get into more of a relationship with there are there will be points at where it you'll never you'll hit a wall and you can never get closer because you don't yeah. share the deepest things but a lot of times you're amazed at some of the deepest things you do share with some of the angry ones because they tend to be very passionate people about morality and ethics and such yeah. and um you you can have a lot in common with them and, and actually have a precious relationship, and it goes beyond that. And I, I've had that with several atheists in my life. Um, one of them when I was in junior high, high school, and now she's a believer. <laughs> and, but, you know, well, you when it came to God, she was firmly, you know, that's ridiculous. And, and, and I was, you know, but we still had so much more in common beyond that because she was, she had a lot of Christian values and, and, and whatnot. So, don't let the anger put you off. <laughs> it's, yeah, but don't be let prepared. The anger put you off. Make sure that you've got the wherewithal and the the, the strength to the to, emotional energy <laughs> to absorb it and yeah. and take breaks. And yeah. that was what my problem was. I had already been under a lot of stress, and I had dealt with um, at least one of these atheists before, just fine. Um, but I wasn't in a place to jump in, and and really. I should have known because I felt so compelled to comment on something and something in the back of my mind was saying, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> and I should have listened. <laughs> I have learned to listen to that little small voice when it tells me, you should think twice before pressing send. Because it was ego going in there too. Because I, with the, some of the things this person was saying, I was like, oh, I've got to correct that. <clears throat> I just had had enough. And sometimes what it means is not reading what that person says for a while. Like if you're I've, on I've Facebook to, hiding yeah, them for that. a while or, or whatever. Yeah. So you're just not constantly provoked to have to correct them if you're that yeah. type of person which I am yeah. <laughs> so I just like to end with with a prayer for for the moms out there and just for the women that are listening okay father god um when you said take up your cross and follow you you meant take up your cross and follow you lord I think of all the insults mm. that you endured and that you absorbed lord the insults that you absorbed and the abuse that you absorbed and the people probably shouting things that were just completely wrong that you absorbed. And I just think about how it it talks about how like a lamb before it shears was silent. So you were silent before the ones that were crucifying you, Lord. And I think of how many, not just really valid arguments that you would have, Lord, but you would just have the the power of all the heavens at your disposal and you chose not to use it. Father God, I pray for the ladies out there that um, shy away from apologetics because they're worried about that one group, the the angry atheist group or the angry non-believer, um, that they're scared that that's going to be the one that they have to engage with, Lord, that I pray that, uh, A, that they would see all the other categories of, of um, on the spectrum of belief that apologetics is valid for, those that are just learning for the first time, those that are seeking and those that are doubting, Lord. Um, that they would see the validity and how they can help those groups avoid becoming the angry unbeliever, Lord. But when they do have people that are in their path, that are in the 
the PTA with them that are on their kid's soccer team, whoever at their work, when they do encounter the ones that, that are angry, God, that you would just give them a supernatural ability to absorb uh, so much of the wrong that is done, Lord, and just to continue to love and to grieve, Lord, to mm-hmm. find out where that anger is coming from and grieve with that person for whatever areas that uh, maybe they felt that they felt harmed, Lord, and just allow your love and your prayers, Lord, to to be the things that go in front of them mm-hmm. as they enter into that relationship. I pray that you would teach them how to know themselves and know the things that set them off and know the things that make them stress, Lord, and know when to not engage and when to engage, Lord. There's a reason why in Proverbs you have those two verses pretty close to each other. I can't remember if they're right next to each other that says, answer a fool according to his folly. And then right afterwards, don't answer a fool according Mm -hmm. to his folly. Both of those are included, Lord, because there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place, Lord God. And we pray for just supernatural wisdom for the ladies here, that they would not be scared of apologetics because of this group, Lord. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, they would know when to engage and when not to engage and how to love and how to grieve and how to show your heart and your uh, graciousness, Lord, to those that are around them. In your name I pray. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.